Angela Davis once said, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. In 2019, this seems to be becoming an increasingly important siren song for many social movements, particularly labor movements. After four decades of attacks from private employers, conservative courts, and a neoliberal ruling class, labor strength has been radically reduced. Just a few months ago, in the Supreme Court's Janus ruling, the High Court limited unions' ability to collect fair share fees from workers for who they bargained for. However, even in the midst of these, of these bourgeois-led assaults, a growing wave of militancy has taken over workers' movements. In the past year, nearly half a million workers were involved in some type of work stoppage, the highest number in over 30 years. While many experts thought that the Janus ruling would be a blow to union numbers, most unions have either solidified or even increased their membership in the wake of the decision. Public support for unions is stronger than ever, and young people currently make up nearly 80% of new union members. Rutgers has not been immune to this increasing labor agitation. Rumors have been, have been spreading that a faculty strike could be just days away. Two weeks ago, three reps from Rutgers AAUP-AFT appeared on Core of the Matter, eloquently expressing their demands and frustrations with the university's administration. Uh, I'd like to mention that as uh, uh, president of the part-time faculty union, you know, the most, uh, the least paid members here are obviously the most diverse. So we have many issues. I think our issue uh, primarily is, is is we'd like to be at the table. And by that, I mean, you know, what happens for an adjunct um, uh, professor is that we come in, we teach the class, and we leave. We don't interact with other faculty members. We don't interact with the chair or the dean. We're not integrated into the university at large. We're not aware of the goals and mission of the department. And not only that, uh, they don't get to see us and see our strengths and say, hey, you know, maybe this person would be perfect in this role and should be moved into a different position or, or what have you. So, um, uh, this is a little bit tricky because um, many times our members are, are told, hey, you'd like to sit on a committee, um, do some uh, service work for the department. We'd welcome that, but we can't pay you yeah. for that. And so um, in order to become visible, we have to sort of lean in, so to speak. And uh, with some sort of vague promise that perhaps somewhere down the road, eventually, uh, maybe uh, something will turn up and perhaps maybe you can uh, move into a higher role in the department. What we're fighting for in this particular contract for part-time faculty is a clear and direct career path. So we will be visible, so we can move up, so we can't you know, be kind of the same employee year after year. I represent uh, a number of people who have you know, have worked for Rutgers for 20 years and who are appointed semester by semester. And they're not assured semester by semester whether they'll have a job. Um, and the university says we couldn't possibly make that kind of commitment to you when in reality the commitment is there. The employee has been uh, reappointed time and again. Um, and yet 
there's an unwillingness or an inability on the university's part to put that in writing, you know, to make that commitment and say, you know, we value you. Obviously, we value you. You've been here 20 years. We like what you're you're doing. So um, this is a particularly difficult uh, uh, navigation for us. And I think it's important to remember, you know, again, uh, we're the least paid, so obviously we're the most diverse, and this is the first step toward fixing it. If you talk about inequality at Rutgers, this is the deepest, most offensive inequality, the gap between the part-time instructor in front of the classroom and the full-time instructor in front of the classroom is tremendous. While some gains have been made since the strike authorization, it may not be enough to avoid a work stoppage. While much of the coverage around these negotiations has been rightly centered on the faculty and administration, we cannot ignore the student organizations on campus standing in solidarity with faculty. One of these groups is United Students Against Sweatshops, or USAS, which is part of a national coalition of organizations that run campaigns to build, to build power for working people. USAS has been the leader in the fight for 15 Movement at Rutgers, along with many other grassroots movements at the university. One issue of particular focus for USAS is sexual assault on campus. Recently, a group of USAS organizers and other activists on campus started End Assault at Rutgers, a coalition made up of more than 1,000 undergraduate, graduate, professors, staff, and 18 organizations demanding the immediate firing of alleged rapists and current administrator at the Rutgers Business School, Nabil Adam, along with all sexual harassers, rapists, and people complicit at the university. Today, we are joined by Tate Potts and Olivia Wishmeyer, both leaders in USAS and End Assault at Rutgers. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you so much. Um, So I first want to get into kind of what USAS exactly is for our listeners who aren't really aware of the organization. Um, So if you both could, you can both can jump in here. Um, What exactly is USAS and what is the history of the organization here at Rutgers? So USAS is an organization, a labor power organization that fights for workers' rights and workers' power. Um, We define sweatshops very generally as any workplace that has unfair conditions for its employees. Um, We've done um, campaigns like the Fight for 15, which is more locally based, as well as um, campaigns focused on overseas sweatshops, um, like our Nike campaign a couple of semesters ago. And what was involved in the Nike campaign, just for our listeners who don't know? Um, so Olivia and I were not involved in the organization mm-hmm. at that time. Okay. But um, basically they were working to have Rutgers divest from the, um, I guess from having their their sports apparel and like um, all the like Rutgers swag being made by Nike in these sweatshops. So holding them accountable to, um, to instead buy their their attire from um, sweatshops can have uh, people who come and check the conditions and they get certified by that. And a lot of the sweatshops that um, institutions we use do not have that because obviously they're cheaper, the sweatshops that don't have the certification. So pushing pushing records to instead choose, a, choose sweatshops, like, I mean, choose places where it's not, um, it's more certified. And that was a successful campaign? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, so how do you choose, like, what issues to focus on? Is there, like, a kind of decision process and, like, 
are there like multiple opinions that kind of come in together to kind of decide what specific issues get focused and emphasized? Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens is there's usually like a series of discussions we'll have in the group. Um, we'll bring up like what people think uh, we should be focusing on next. Um, I believe in the past we've done uh, like surveys or outreach to different workers in the community um, to see what issues they're facing, what they want to fix. Um, with our most recent campaign, End Assault at Rutgers, um, a few organizers had been working with the survivor um, to try to start this campaign, and they had come to USAP asking us to get involved. That's how, um, and then we brought that to the um, general body to yeah. kind of vote on it and see how people felt about that. Okay. Yeah, I'd say also on that, it's like kind of built on the idea that we want to work in collaboration with the workers on campus and um, hearing their stories and not like leading from above, but leading from like within Mm -hmm. in that we need to know what's needed um, by the people to fight for the people. And so kind of building on those ideas and looking at the like culture of campus and seeing like where um, complacency exists and how we can better target that to um, like for the liberation of, as many people, all people. Nice. Um, and obviously USAS is very involved in taking direct action and protesting on campus. Um, so how are those kind of actions planned and is there like a process that like you all go through to kind of decide whether or not you're going to take action? Um, it's sort of a combination of things of um, what opportunities are available to us. Um, are there certain events going on or whatever? Um, what the group um, wants to do, what people are interested in, um, and what makes sense for our campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we wouldn't want to like take action in a way that's just going to be like ineffective or wasting our time. Um, yeah, that like protests are not just like a collection of people who come out angry in the streets, and I think there's a huge misconception that like. Rutgers may want to paint USAS as well like that, that we are just like a militant group who doesn't know what we're doing. But it's not about, it is about the anger, but it's about the effectiveness of that anger and where that anger can be channeled and how people can respond to it and see it. And so a lot of the protest um, planning comes with like very, very in-depth training of how are we going to stay safe? How are we going to make sure we're not hurting anyone else while we're protesting? Um, How do we support individuals who may be at more risk at a protest and think about um, privilege and and bias of police and things like that and how we um, build those protests to be supportive to everybody being involved as well as, like Tate said, um, effective in directing that that frustration directing that message to an individual um, or to a group of people to express that these are things that we want changed. Um, that a protest isn't just us throwing our hands up and in the air, but a move like a piece of the process in getting what we need for um, power to the people. And then um, obviously the negotiations with the teachers union is a big issue currently at the university. Um, how is USAS um, working with the union if there is any like um, official relationship or is it more just kind of members collaborating with the union? Yeah, I mean, 
Um, so USAS and, and the union are more like, I guess, with I think friends, you know? Um, I think I know, like, as members, we stand with the union and, like, are ready to, like, join them in in picketing and all those things. But as for, like, I think a direct relationship, it's more of um, we fight for similar things. So we collaborate um, in solidarity of one another more so. And then um, I guess, obviously, one of those connections would be, like, with student workers on campus. Um, And then how does, like... How did the Fight for 15 movement originate at Rutgers, if you have, like, knowledge of the history? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't really... I'm not sure how the campaign The campaign started. started. Do you know? I mean, I think it was it was built on, a, like, there is a growing movement of the Fight for 15, like, nationally. So it's been popping up everywhere. And I know that for Rutgers, it was more so um, this, like, looming pressure of the fact that um, students and non like fat just employees were making eight dollars to nine dollars an hour, um, which is outrageous for anywhere in the country, but for New Brunswick is like especially yeah. um, unfair. So I think it was more so after the Nike campaign um, internationally. It was it was about looking at the community at home and a lot of conversations with workers and faculty and other students who work, you know, a handful of jobs to support themselves and feed themselves. Um, and, and just feeling like that was not an okay option mm-hmm. for Rutgers. Also, I think part of it was, um, um, like Olivia said, there was like a growing movement for the fight for 15. Um, and part of that is lots of other chapters of USAS across the country had been um, taking on the fight at fight for 15 at their universities. Um, so we kind of like um, use those connections and that um, support to launch our own campaign at mm-hmm. our university. Mm-hmm. And then in your work in this fight, what are the kind of struggles and narratives you've heard from student workers, if you can like, kind of expand on that? Um, as far as, like, other things that our workers are concerned about. That they're... Or also, like, how, like, the lack of pay and the exploitation affects their, their daily lives, too. Their stories, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard from a lot of student workers. Um, they feel like, I mean, technically, we as student workers are workers' staff, but they don't treat us that way. They treat us like we're just students um trying to make a few bucks for like beer money (laughs) yeah (laughs) when we are actual employees of the university trying to pay rent trying to pay bills trying to put food on the table um but student workers are seen and i don't mean to make this sound that like uh, non-student workers are treated fantastically because they're not they're not (laughs) (laughs) they're just this way that the university views student workers as just like kids who don't take their job seriously or um, don't deserve the full benefits and pay of a professional worker. Yeah, and I think off of that, like, one of the biggest things is is that story, that narrative that, like, students get a job for their resume or they get a job to, like, have beer money is, like, literally such a false story. Students we know, you know, are working three to three jobs up to, you know, 40 hours a week and going to class at the same time. And it's like, 
it's not only mentally, like, for mental health, it's it's outrageously horrible, but also just, like, the abuse of power um, that comes along with that when a student is here to be a student and not work, like, a full-time job, um, especially jobs that are abusive towards them. So I think it's really about the 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 oppression that continues to exist for, like, all students and, and the way that that infiltrates into their experience at school. Yeah. I know I'm, uh, I work in the recreation department, so I'm a student worker, and I can, like, definitely understand the struggle of what it feels like to make $11 an hour and have to pay, like, part of tuition and, like, food and stuff. Um, and there's also been times that I personally have felt like I wish I had a type of, like, union representative there um, because I wasn't exactly sure if how I being how I was treated was fair or legal even. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that a possibility? And is that a focus that USS is trying to take in trying to form some type of student worker coalition? Um, in the past, USS has um, uh, floated the possibility and looked into some research in forming um, a student union. Um, we decided not to take on the project because um, we just didn't have the, the resources and capability to take on such a massive project. Um, I'm not sure if we'll um, take another stab at it in the future. Um, as for what we're going to be doing after we wrap up our NSL Deck um, Rutgers campaign, we still have to decide that. Okay. Yeah. And um, where does the movement you think stand now at Rutgers? Do you think there's, are we in a direction of progress, or um, do you think that there's still a lot of more work to do? To As do? For the fight for 15? Yeah. I think there's a lot. I think we have made strides, and I think it's important that we note that, like, the 11 is not just because President Barchi was like, oh, now I'm generous and going <laughs> to give you $11 an hour. It was because of the pressure put on him. So I feel like that is power, but that is not necessarily Rutgers moving forward. That's the students and the students pushing Rutgers forward. And so it's really reliant on the student body to voice their concerns and, um, and address the people who have the power to change those things. So I think it's positive moving forward. It just means we have to keep working harder. Yeah. And um, kind of going off the pressure being put on administration, um, while the Fight for 15 movement remains um, a growing movement on campus, it has also been met with severe backlash from administration. And in December 2017, I believe that's correct, um, 12 USAS students were arrested for protesting at a Board of Governors meeting at the Douglas Student Center, and they all faced pretty serious charges, including a disorderly person's offense, a petty disorderly offense, as well as other disciplinary action from the university. Um, The students eventually pleaded guilty and were fined $750 each and put on six months of probation. Um, And in response to the arrest, USFAS put out a statement saying, quote, Rutgers USAS has tried negotiating and meeting with members of university administration to no avail. Recently, when a member of USAS and a student worker confronted President Barchi about the difficulties he experienced personally with food insecurity, Barchi contemptuously derided the student, saying his pleading for a living wage amounted to a shtick, unquote. Um, so how did these arrests affect the students involved, um, specifically? Um, so the arrests were... Um 
uh, placed on these students as part of Rutgers' kind of counter campaign against USAS, um, part of a bunch of other stuff that they've done, like taking away our uh, organizational status of the university. Um, they have uh, kind of bumped up their protest policy to make it basically impossible to protest legally on campus. Um, and the uh, charges against students were just one of the most recent um, kind of uh, counteracts by the university against USAS. Um, it, it was actually the, um, with all the fees and everything, it was um, a little over a thousand per, um, per student. student. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, very stressful, obviously, for the students involved and made it more difficult to uh, kind of uh, continue on the uh, campaign. Um, it also, though, was kind of, um, <laughs> I don't want to say it was a good thing. Um, it was kind of a sign also for our members that we were effective because they charged our members because they were scared because mm -hmm. we were actually um, putting pressure on them and making our point known. Um, they didn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> it was deliberate. Like every mm -hmm. decision that they made to do what they did to USAS was deliberate. It wasn't just the, like, oh, uh, a couple arrests here. And arresting students who are just trying to graduate. Like at the end of the day, that's why you go to school. Yeah. And then to have in your, you know, to know that you could get arrested is also a lot of fear, fear mongering. And um, so I think that should be a tall, like a, a huge sign for like what Rutgers is capable of doing and silencing the voices of the people who are asking for more. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of exactly what kind of changes Rutgers made to the protest policy. Um, are you guys aware of those changes and can you kind of enlighten our audience too? A little bit. There's like, there's some nuances that are, um, I'm not quite sure of, but I know it's, it's basically around things of like, you cannot like, disrupt certain types of meetings and by, you know, doing so you may risk arrest um or disciplinary charges yeah you basically have to like register a protest and there's specific spots on campus <laughs> yeah. you can go to do that and a lot of the spots are not uh accessible to people with disabilities wow. um and you're like you have to get a special permit to have any kind of sound amplification all these things that make it very difficult to actually mm -hmm. have an effective protest and what does this kind of backlash and these new restrictions have on the activism and social justice community here at Rutgers? I mean, it's huge. Like, when you have to register a protest, it defeats, it, it doesn't defeat the point of a protest, but it it's patronizing. Mm -hmm. When you put students in the position to register their causes as if they're registering for a class, it's, and putting the power in the administration's hand to say, hey, we don't want that. Like, everyone knows, like, you, you know, um, if the person in power doesn't want you to have a certain type of protest, they're not going to let you have that certain type of protest. They give you the ability to shout, but they give you the, the, abil the ability to shout into the void. Like, they're not giving you a platform. They're giving you a space to waste your time. And people can be tricked or manipulated into believe that Rutgers is providing them an opportunity to speak, but they're, pro they're not. They're providing them 
an opportunity to think they're speaking. And so protest policies is not only putting restrictions in terms of like us not even being able to have them, but also manipulating individuals to believe that like Rutgers is providing them a service when when they're not, which I think is in some ways almost more um, evil. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Rutgers has like a very uh deliberate way that they present themselves as a very liberal university that embraces activism, um, but at the same time uh, creates these very um, harsh restrictions on students to prevent them from actually um, protesting and um, being activists on campus. And did the arrest kind of send like a chilling effect, do you think, to, to other organizations with like this kind of implicit threat saying that like, if you protest, you are at risk of, of being arrested? Um, it was definitely, um, I think a lot of other organizations definitely took it as like a threat from the university. Um, we also fortunately did get a lot of support from um, other organizations on campus. Um, uh, they really, I think a lot of organizations um, kind of saw this as a sign that we were like doing what we set out to do. Um, and they kind of... Uh, um, and another big issue too is sexual assault on campus. Um, and Rutgers has recently been in the news with the case of Nabil Adam, a professor and administrator who has been accused of sexual harassment and assault by a current graduate student in the Rutger, in the business school in Newark. Um, Adam has been on paid administrative leave since 2017 and just recently returned to work in January at the New Brunswick Business School. Um, and the details of his case are pretty disturbing. Um, Brendan Brightman of the Daily Targum published a report in January about the case and cited evidence from the victim's statement to the Office of Civil Rights and the student who was a research assistant when the incident took place in January 2016 describes the assault as follows, quote, Professor Adam then started touching her inappropriately in between her legs and tried to pull her pants down. At that point, there seemed to be someone around in the building, and Professor Adam realizes that the place was inappropriate, and both him and the student left thereafter. However, he then repeatedly asked her to go over to the research lab with him. Um, the two eventually met in the lab where Adam made unwanted sexual contact, and the incident ultimately culminated in an 18-month sexual relationship. The victim attempted suicide in July of 2017. So obviously, this case has sent shockwaves throughout the campus community, and many students are challenging the university's handling of the case. While Adam has apparently been cleared of sexual misconduct allegations, he is currently being investigated for allegedly retaliating against the survivor. Um, at a Board of Governors meeting last month, representatives from End Assaults at Rutgers demanded that the university make changes to its policies around dealing with cases of sexual misconduct, including mandating that accused faculty and staff be placed on unpaid administrative leave until an investigation is completed by the Office of Employment Equity. And Olivia, you made a really powerful statement of demands at that meeting. Dr. Nabil Adam not only returned to campus amid a sexual assault lawsuit and open EE investigation, but now has returned to campus after violating Title IX policy and misrepresenting facts throughout the investigation. Refused to provide DNA to cooperate with this investigation. 
The particulars of this case are not isolated, but systematic of the institutional failings of Rutgers University to provide safe work and learning spaces for its community members. To improve the safety of our community and to solve that Rutgers and its allies are calling Rutgers to detenure Nabil Adam and any professor found guilty of sexual abuse or harassment. Two, ensure that, that during Title IX OEE investigations, the accused be placed on unpaid administrative leave until the investigation is resolved. Three, avoid the conflict of interest that comes with OEE, solely leading such investigations by fully cooperating with an independent investigation of the claims brought forward by survivors. Hence, Rutgers would allow the independent investigators full access to any and all relevant information in each case. The independent investigators will be chosen by a committee of democratically elected undergraduates, graduates, and staff. Four, require OEE to follow through with their policy of providing the survivor with an update on their case in 60 calendar days at risk of penalty. Five, ensure the OEE Title IX findings do not, not be used to retaliate against a survivor. Avoid, to avoid putting the survivor's educational and professional and or scholarly future at risk. Six, provide a semester of funding to graduate students who need to find a new advisor as a result of the independent and or OEE investigation. Seven, require the Sexual Harassment Prevention Committee at Rutgers to conduct a mandatory yearly climate survey on harassment for each academic department on its three main campuses as well as any satellite campuses and to publish the results as to ensure they are accessible to the general public. Eight, allow five delegates and end assault at Rutgers to sit on the Sexual Harassment Prevention Committee at Rutgers. We urge Rutgers University to address the concerns as soon as possible in order to cultivate a university committed to ensuring survivors are provided adequate support to resume their lives. Thank you so much for your time and I'd like to provide this letter with our demands to um, President Barchi, please. Uh, thank you for your eloquent and important remarks. Um, so what was the work involved behind starting End Assault at Rutgers? Um, I think the main thing was the survivor, and the survivor has been just the, one of the most resilient people, starting this campaign by herself. For the past two years, like, she has been alone fighting this battle, and it wasn't until um, earlier this year when coming forward to other individuals and um, hearing that the parts of this case that it's not just a, it's not just about sexual assault and the abuse, but it's about a system in place that upholds these these issues, um, and so I think a lot of it came down to a lot of people realizing that this is not um, just a student to student issue. This is a part of the institution and has to be addressed directly head-on, and this case is not isolated in the slightest, um, but a symptom and a, a sign. And so really, I think it, it, it's the survivor. She's the one who um, holds the power to bring everyone together. Um, and then for our listeners who are not aware, um, we're going to show the video of you at the, at the <laughs> meeting too. Um, but what were the specific demands, or what are the specific demands that End Assault at Rutgers is making on this issue? Um, so um, we want Nabil Adam um, be tenured and fired without us ever its pay. Um, we want uh, Rutgers to reform the way that they handle these investigations. Um, Part of that is, um, for right now, 
um, these investigations are handled by the OEE, which is um, basically an HR department. It's, it's uh, financed by Rutgers, so it's a part of the university that handles university investigations, um, which is a conflict of interest. So we want them to um, take these investigations to an outside impartial um, party. Um, we want, um, like you said, um, people who are being investigated to be placed on unpaid leave. Um, and we want a um, committee to be formed to do um, kind of surveys of the climate um, at Rutgers and to place members of End Assault on that committee. Yeah, there are a couple others um, that the OEE um, has to also be uh, timely in their case management um, with risk of penalty, um, protect survivors against retaliation, which they are also failing to do currently, um, providing funding to the graduate students who need to find a new advisor um, as a result of losing um, advisors, and then, um, and then kind of based on uh, what Tate said, kind of the the the, the con like conducting a mandatory yearly survey for like specifically like um, graduate workers, really like being aware of who you're working with um, directly um, within those departments. And then, has there been any response from administration regarding these demands? Yeah. So when we read the. Um, the demands at the Board of Governors meeting, um, President Barchi did respond to those demands. Um, but other than kind of doing all that they have to do to kind of, you know, paint things in a nice way, um, maybe talk up the fact that like, oh, we're so brave and we fight for wonderful things and um, we do not, we do not pr protect predators. Um, and kind of just making sure that they can like basically cover their back um, to not get hit by bad media coverage. But the reality is a lot of those responses are very dismissive to the, the claims we're making, saying that they're doing everything they can and that the cases are being handled efficiently. But um, as we know, that is not the case at all. Um, and then what do you see as the main contributors to the problem of, of sexual assaults and harassment on campus, both between students and teachers and, and between students and students as well? I think um, uh, a big part of um, what allows this abuse to continue, especially between um, grad students and their advisors, is that the way that a relationship is set up, um, abuse of grad students is very, very common. Um, this is just one case among many, many where um, grad students are abused by their advisors um, because they rely on their advisors for basically like their entire career. Um, and they're kind of subject to the whims of the advisor. If they want them to work 80 hours a week, that's what they'll do. If they want them to come over to their house to work, that's what they'll do. Um, it's just kind of like what they are um, demanded of the, their job. And that's part of Rutgers. Um, of a structure and policies that's how um, those relationships work yeah the like pressure on academic or academia as like this holy grail of 
of what you should do. That working this hard is um, a gold star to you is, I mean, this is reflected in a lot of large universities, but Rutgers especially. Um, and I think that is why USAS is also like, um, maybe people would be like, oh, how is labor connected to sexual assault? And the, it's labor and sexual assault are intimately connected in every single way because at the end of the day, both of those power abuses like stem from power. Like, like they're, they're abuses that stem from power. Sexual assault is not just, it's not about sex, really. It's about like the abuse of power that um, it holds. And similarly, like, labor abuse in the same way. So when you're a graduate student, like Tate said, you're in the prime position to continuously be abused in whatever form that takes. And kind of going off that relationship between um, sexual assault and power and, and, label, and labor, um, are there connections you think that can be made with the current teachers and, and grad union fight? And how do you think the universities? structural motivation for profit contributes to these kind of issues? Um, I can go. <laughs> um, so there's a something that's really important is that the universities, like the, so Nabil Adam, for instance, is responsible for bringing in a lot of money to the university through grant money, through um, research, through a bunch of things. He's, he's good at it. But in that way that, like, when you're good at something that you probably shouldn't be good at because you're kind of doing it really shady. So, <laughs> so he's like that. But he brings in a lot of money. So he might not be admired by his students, but Rutgers wants to protect him because he brings in money. So the, so the professors who are doing a good job and working super, super hard are not getting paid well. As we can see, this is why the union um, is the strike is threatened to happen and, and all of those things. So it's, it's really about Rutgers putting these tenured professors who bring in money on this like protection policy, basically, where you can't even touch them um, and valuing them purely on their ability to bring money to the university and not what they give to the student body academically. Archie um, Christelta said he runs Rutgers like a business. So it's, the priority in the university is not education, research, knowledge. The priority is how much money can we make mm -hmm. and how can we do that in any way possible. Yeah, and these are the effects of that. So are there any upcoming events or programs that USAS has planned for the rest of the year? I think mostly USAS is like in the solidarity fight with NSAL at Rutgers. Um, so a lot of the actions, I think, are going to be forthcoming in terms of um, continuing to build our base of supporters for this movement, um, spreading awareness about this, that people don't know about this case at all, and, and we want them to know. Um, and so one of the big things we really are hoping is um, in connection and in alliance with, like, um, women organizing against harassment, Woe on campus, um, they have their... Uh, take Back the Night March. I think it's April 24th. Um, I'm pretty sure. So we really want everyone to come out to that one as well um, in solidarity with like this as an issue that affects a lot of people, but that this is um, very important currently. So that's like, I think one of our biggest movements, our biggest actions um, coming up. And then how can students get involved in the organization as well? Yeah, if, if, um, yeah, um, if um, 
students want to um, come out to meetings, we have them Mondays at 9 at um, Scott Hall on the second floor. Um, we also have um, our Facebook page, Rutgers USAS, um, and um, you can also email us at RutgersUSAS at uh, gmail.com. Yeah. And are those meetings like a conjunction of USAS and Endosalt, or is are they separate? Those ones are just USAS. Just For USAS. Endosalt, you can follow us um, on Facebook as well if you just look up Endosalt at Rutgers and Instagram as well. So we do like a bunch of updates on the case and things like that um, and, and do a little bit more direct outreach within that group. And then... It's kind of like a broad question, but what kind of future does USAS and Endosalt envision for Rutgers? Um, Endosalt, um, I think what we're envisioning is that it's an organization that continues even after um, Adam has been um, removed from the university. Um, it's, it's not just about this one case. It's about, um, A, changing the ways that um, university handles investigations and the way that these relationships are structured that allows these abuses to happen and also continuing to put pressure on the university time after time to make sure that they are um, doing things right and protecting their students and their employees. Um, as far as USAS, um, after we're done this campaign, we'll continue to fight for workers both in our communities and around the world. I think it's I always, whenever we go to um, college app, I'm forgetting the Winans Hall. There's like this giant poster that says revolutionary for t 250 years. And every time we walk past that, we're just like, oh, but you're not. <laughs> you're not revolutionary if you're not changing the things that like should have been changed 20 years ago. Um, so I guess envisioning a school that is revolutionary and um, creates a culture of safety over profit and puts people who are more vulnerable in a, on a place in a place to be um, equally as safe as everyone else. So. And on that note, thank you both for coming here, um, Tate Potts and Olivia Wurschmeyer um, from End Assault at Rutgers and Rutgers USAS. This has been ninety point three, the core um, core of the matter, the public affairs forum here at the core. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.